Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all listeners and equipping especially for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. My guest this week is Larissa Levicheva. Uh, Larissa is a regular guest here on the show. Uh, it's been great to have her on all the time, but especially this year as we're going through the Psalms, because she is an expert in uh, Hebrew poetry, so it's really great to have her here. Uh, we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43 today. We start out in 42, but they really kind of go together, so we ended up looking at both. So Psalms 42 and 43 are our text for today. As you're listening to the show, if you're enjoying it, make sure to press the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this along to others so they may enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. Find ways to support the show there. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Yeah, Psalm 42. Would you be willing to to read the passage in oh, yes. whatever translation you wish? I have NIV right now, yeah. so I'll read from there. Great. So Psalm 42. For the director of music, a muscular of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we join with the psalmist in recognizing our own thirst, our own longing, that the thirst that we have for water is but a sign of uh, the thirst that we have for you. Sometimes we don't feel it and notice it, but we trust it's always there, and there are times when we really feel it, and this psalm really speaks to that. And so, Lord, as we pour out ourselves uh, before you, along with the words from this psalm. We ask that uh, that your depths 
uh, will call out our own. The deep will call into deep that will be attuned to something, something deep within these words will be attuned to something deep within each other. And that all those who are listening in will catch a glimpse of uh, something deep in this psalm that speaks to the depths of their own heart. So, Lord, we ask that uh, you would be at work among us this very hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, great. Thanks uh, Thanks for reading classic psalm. 42, the first in book two. And is it the first, and if you don't know, I can I can flip around. Is it is this the first one associated with the sons of Korah or the Korahites? Or is there one before this? I'm trying to remember. Oh, I don't know. It suddenly occurred to me, I'm like, I wonder if the I'm just gonna flip through. David, David, Jaduthan, David, 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 Abimelech, not by Abimelech, but associated with Abimelech. David, David, dedication of the temple, David, David. I'm just going backwards here. 26, 24. I don't see any Korah yet. Might be the first one. Do we get a few from them though, right? That's right. not the only. Yes, going further. Yeah, David, David, David. Team, David, David. Yep, first one. Eh, I don't know. I don't know if there's any significance to that. I don't want to spend much time on it. I just wanted to acknowledge it, especially since it's the first one of book two and it's right. first one sort of associated with a different authorship. I'm sure yeah. that's not accidental, actually, but I'm sure there's some story there. We just don't know it. Lost to the sands of time, right? right? Probably. Yeah. So what do you notice here? What's uh, What do you want to start with? What are you observing? Well, usually uh, Psalms 42 and 43 taken together ah, and okay. look at it usually they looked at together uh, and several translations would even keep it as one mm. um, but it could be that they're separated for a particular occasion in worship or who knows that's how we get them yeah i think i offered to you uh right. to choose 42 or 43. 43 we can obviously include 43 as much as we want if we want I think they're listed together in the lectionary right. as a pair. Right, so. because there is a uh, progression. And I didn't want to go in 43. I didn't know if anybody else would Oh, sure, it. in case it was for someone else. Right. No, nah, that was just a... But it's quite clear there are three stanzas, and then there is a, a refrain, kind of like, you know. Oh, yeah, the wire you cast down in verse 5 right. is repeated again. Right. Yeah, so, so it really is all what, one yeah. psalm. Yeah, what happened? I wonder how it got split. We don't really know. It's similar to, is it 9 and 10? Right. That definitely. may have been one. And is there another one, like 130, 31? I think there's another psalm where you have a repeated refrain. Right. And you wonder how they got split. Right. right. right? So it's, is it the, they ran out of paper and they have to start <laughs> a new you know, page? Or there was something that particular about the worship when they used it? We really don't know. Yeah. So just real quick, well, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll add 43 in, in the second segment. How's that? But just to get okay. started, right, if right. there's three segments, the refrain is what in verse five and then right. in in verse uh, 11, 11 and then verse five of 43. Right. So then that ends up it's being like five, five verses, refrain, five verses, refrain, five verses, refrain. 
Yeah. So pretty much that's, that's the structure. Yeah. So is there a, would you identify a kind of flow of the three sections? Would they each kind of have a vibe? Right. So we can see that the language is very figurative. So it's kind of hard to set the like historical context. Sure. That could be just a personal experience of distress and anguish that the uh, worshiper is dealing with. It could be because it was written during exile. Mm. Right. So um, I want to, you know, to see your face. I want to go in your presence, thinking of the temple. But the main thing that goes through both Psalms is the uh, metaphor of war. Uh, water. Water. Sorry. Yeah. You skipped two letters, right. T and E. <laughs> Very big difference. Uh, metaphor of water. Yeah. Right. So it's always all this uh, Im- imagery that talks about water. Yeah, the first stanza, if we want to, is that an okay terminology to yeah. use oh, to yeah. think of the first mm-hmm. section? Right. There it's the, the water of drinking, and then the water in the second, it shifts to, you know, this the, the, the roaring mm-hmm. waters, the right. breakers, the waves, right? Okay. Intensity, right? Um, yeah. There's more intensity to it. Yeah, and then in 42, or excuse me, 43... Does the water language continue there? Or does it fall out? I'm trying to look. Yeah, I think it falls out. Yeah, it there, falls but, out. Yeah. It, um, but then that's the image uh, image of the temple, right? The mm-hmm. holy mountain now that kind of starts in 42 where it says in 4, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God. Yeah. Right? So that's the idea of ascending towards Jerusalem. Right? Yeah. So – and now the heights of Hermon, right? Mount Mizar, and then again the the mountain comes up in forty three. So yeah, where's metaphors where's going. Mount uh, Mizar? I know so no. land of Jordan down south and west, east, right? Right. And Hermon is way up north, right? I Actually, don't know nobody Mizar. knows. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. And Bummer. Right. It could be what's now just a hill. Right, sure. like a hilly country, in, you know, in Judea area, nobody really. But we knows don't have confirmation it. on it. No, nope. is that a, and some translations will even say little ah, because that's the uh, okay. translation of the word in Hebrew, right? Because nobody knows where it is. Yeah, that's the safer move is <laughs> take it as an adjective. But right. yeah, so do you think uh, is is some of that language of remembering? And being cast down and remembering and naming all of these places even beyond the temple. Is right. that one of the clues that this may have an exile right. origin? Is that the Yeah, that's what that's why some scholars think that that is okay. a, that it was written during the exile. So it certainly works in exile. Yes. Yeah. Even if it wasn't written then, I'm sure it was a favorite. Right. <laughs> <laughs> during exile, right? Right. So um, yeah. Wow, yeah. Another thing that's very interesting about the psalm, right, apart from its progression, also the word that's translated into English as soul, right? The Mm. Hebrew uh, word is nefesh. Yeah. Nefesh. And um, that's the word that's used in the creation story, right? Right. Genesis 2-7, right? So uh, where a human being is created out of the, you know, dust of the earth. But when God you know, puts his breath into it. Yeah. Then it becomes a living being. 
nefesh. Yeah, living nefesh. Right. So uh, there is no really um, distinction between body and soul in the Old Testament, right? You either have the living breath in you, and then you are a nefesh, or you don't, and then you're dust. Right, right, right. So that's just a corpse, as it were. Right. Yeah. So it's what's interesting is you know when you take the understanding of worshiping the Lord in the like in the Old Testament, right, was all of you, right, your mind, your strengths. So that's the nefesh, right? That's what makes you alive. So here, what's thirsting for God is like that whole human being, right? You're separated, so you're really not alive anymore, right? So it's almost like the metaphor of war that brings life. And without it, it's just death because there is this very physical, right? We felt separation from the presence of God, from the temple, from the community of believers. It's very interesting. We, I think we tend to see it as an individual, like it's my struggle Mm -hmm. and I'm searching for the Lord, but here it's more, searching for the Lord in the community, right? Like how I led the procession to the house mm-hmm. of God, right? Among the festive thorn. So what the person is remembering is that communal worship where he, you know, was able to face the Lord, but that the community makes it even more powerful. Right. It's almost like, I mean, it is an individual experience, but the individuality is the problem, not the solution, as it were, right? right? It's yes, that I yes. am separated, which is why this psalm, I mean, it works in exile perfectly, right. but it also works really well for an individual who would be in exile in some way. Right. You know what yes. I mean? Like if yeah. someone had been sold into slavery or had been, who had gone on a trip even. Right. You know, I could yeah. see this psalm working. And um, if you don't live in Jerusalem, if you live far away, right, you would only go to Jerusalem on particular holy days. So you can right. get to the temple whenever you want, right? So, yes, that's why the context would work. So it's really, anywhere. it helps when you think of diaspora Judaism, which is the condition of so many in, the, in which the early Christian writings, the New Testament comes right. from. You can see why the difference between exile and diaspora is pretty porous. It's right, it's like yes. a continuing exile. Right, right. When the center of your worship is land and right. temple, temple. Right. and people. Right. Right? Yeah. The elected people, the elected place, the elected mountain that that these right. places are now distant. They still they're my identity. They it is who I am, but it's I'm now at a distance from it. So there is the the singular, the individuality of it's real, but it's the problem, not the solution. It's right, not like, right, I yes. wish I was closer to God. It's like, oh, God isn't any further away. It's not, that's not the problem. It's not my individual. Right. It's that yes. I'm separated from right. the worshiping community. Is that right? Yes. right? Yeah. 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 So again, it's because I am who I am in community, right? It's not, I'm my own self. Yeah. Which even fits the, the nefesh, which I mean, any regular listener to the show is probably getting sick of me talking about this, but oh, well, it's really helpful Uh, and important, you know, that, you know, the literal sense of the word as throat. Right. Yeah. Then links with things like praise as well as with thirst. Yes. You know, the idea that my throat is thirsty is actually kind of obvious, right? It's actually more (laughs) 
actually it's clearer than a soul. <laughs> what, right. What's that? What's a soul? You know what I mean? <laughs> or again, I've said this before, but like, I feel like the problem is it's more of a modern problem than a kind of a classical medieval or early Christian problem, which got into the Greek soul stuff thing. But there's right. the, the whole Greek versus Hebrew worldview thing is I think overdone. Maybe you're into it so we can have that debate today. But I mean, like at least in Latin, the word for soul is animus, mm. which yeah. is the root word for animal. Mm-hmm. So like even the question, does an animal have a soul is like a non-question to a Latin classic right. Latin Christian. Of course they do. Like that's literally what makes it because right. it's what makes things animated. It's moving things have souls. Soul right. is soul is the the principle of animation. A thing that makes something not a corpse, a, a, just a, a dead object, but right. a active subject, you know, and it's only at sort of a, second level of philosophical reflection that that would be then attributed as some sort of separate right. entity and not all Latin Christians taught that, you know, like actually some mainstream Christian Aristotelians like Thomas Aquinas taught exactly something that corresponds very closely to this more Hebrew idea. Right. Just like so it- it's not even foreign to, it's really more Descartes and modern Christianity that really turns into this totally separate right. soul or mind thing you know just like ecclesiastes says right who knows where you know the soul goes you know human or animal right humans are like animals right and usually uh, ecclesiastes is criticized for that right very low view of god very low view of humanity but when you think about nefesh right, right as a living being then yeah humans are just like animals because they're living moving beings so, yeah, right, because I remember that. I remember when one of my philosopher friends said the fundamental element of the concept of a soul is the d- division between a corpse and a living creature. Right, that's that's the that's thing that it's it. naming. Everything else is theory, but like that's how it works in language. Right, and yes. I was like, that's really I, I found that very illuminating. Do you know what I right. mean? Yes. Especially because yes. even the word corpse has the word corpus body in it. Right. So there is yes. the distinction. There's a distinction without a division between body and soul. Because what is a body without a soul? soul. It's right. called a corpse. It's a de- it's dead. Right. So it's about being alive, being on the move, right. even yeah. animated, a throat with something in it rather than an empty throat with no breath, you know? Right. And so then the link to this, to the people, again, there's, individuality, but it's really about being in the community of worshipers, singing and sharing breath. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That no, that makes it it's maybe why much, there's something lacking when you're on Zoom because you're not breathing the same <laughs> air. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can call it community, but we still know somehow it's not, you know. Fun fact, listeners, we're not on Zoom right now. We're right. actually breathing the same air. <laughs> Which means if one of us is sick, we'll find out when the other one gets sick two days later, right? Right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, that's too funny. Thanks for camping out on the, the soul and nefesh stuff. Because oh, yeah. I think it's really, yes. again, because this, this is a psalm that can get very individualized in a problematic way. So right. that's very, very helpful. Right. You know, because where is your God or how can... I want to see you, right? I want to be in your presence, mm. right? And the, we need to remember this is still Old Testament understanding of reality, right? Not the New Testament. Because when we say, oh, I want to see God, or I want to be in his presence, or I want to see his face, 
Well, whenever you pray, that's basically the experience. But in the Old Testament, that's not what it is, right? It's going to the temple, being right. in the sanctuary. Not that God cannot be in every place. That's not what it is. But the communal experience, that's what makes it so much more powerful. And I think, you know, we'll lose that. I was about to say, that's also the New Testament view. <laughs> I wouldn't I would, <laughs> I agree. Right? Yeah, right. I agree. But New Testament correctly interpreted. <laughs> that's the limitations of English, right? Right. Where you is always you, and you mm. never know if it's plural or singular. And we choose to go with singular, while mostly that's plural. And I also think that the um, the solution to this issue, right? Um, my soul is downcast. I'm I'm searching for the presence of God, and I can't, for whatever reason, find it. Right? It's not turning inward, right? It's actually searching for that community, searching for the experience in community of you know worshiping God. So I think that's a good lesson for us today. Whatever mm-hmm. may, we may be struggling with, and we all do struggle with something, it's not saying, oh, I can deal with this. It's no, you turn to God first and to the community, right? So that's where you find comfort, right? May, may not be the solution of the issue, right? But this is where you find comfort. You remember the past where God was active, where you found his presence, and that's what helps you moving on, right? Because the refrain also is, I will yet praise God, right? Mm-hmm. So there is that hope. It will come. I'm, I'm not just thinking of when I praised God, right, in the past. But no, it's a sure hope in the future. Or just, ooh, let me quick praise him right now. It's it's a longing for the proper praise that takes place in the community, right, in the temple, at the holy hill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also another cool thing, I think, the word that's translated hope, right, in oh, English, yeah. it's the word for wait. Ah, right? So yeah. wait. Yeah, verse 5 and right. 11. Right. Put your hope in God, right? But it actually says wait. Wait on, on God. God. Right. Wait on God, right? So, But that's that's this active idea of not just sitting and like, it's like, okay, well, what can I do? But actually still living, right? Still anticipating what God can do, relying on the past acts of God, but staying faithful in the moment. It's an act of waiting, right. which hope properly understood is a good translation, right. but it can become abstract. Right. Not just, oh, yeah. hope, one day, okay, it will be better. But right. No, no, the hope is uh, very firm. You know it will. You don't know when and how, but you know it will happen. Yeah, and some translations will even say put trust in, right. yes. in order to capture that. Right. Again, then that that has its own... I mean, every translation choice has its cost and benefit. But if you think of those as three ways of waiting, trusting, hoping, each of those captures an aspect of the truth of that that term, right? Yeah. That's helpful. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, my guest, Larissa Levesheva, and we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43. We should do both. Uh, Let me read. I'll read it now, uh, 42, and I'll put in 43 as well. This is from Robert Alter, which, again, regular listeners have probably gotten sick of me using, but it's, it's good. So here's 42 and 43. 
Uh, to the lead player, a Moscow for the Korahites. As the deer yearns for streams of water, so I yearn for you, O God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and see the presence of God? My tears became my bread day and night. As they said to me all day long, where is your God? These do I recall and pour out my heart when I would step in the procession, when I would march to the house of God with the sound of glad song of the celebrant throng. How bent my being, how you moan for me. Hope in God, for yet will I acclaim him for his rescuing presence. My God, my being is bent for my plight. Therefore, do I recall you from Jordan land, from the Hermons and Mount Mitzar. Deep unto deep calls out at the sound of your channels. All your breakers and waves have surged over me. By day the Lord ordains his kindness, and by night his song is with me, prayer to the God of my life. I would say to the the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why in gloom do I go hard-pressed by the foe? With murder in my bones, with enemies revile me. When they say to me all day long, where is your God? How bent my being, how you moan for me. Hope in God, for yet will I acclaim him, his rescuing presence and my God. Grant me justice, O God, now 43. Take up my case against a faithless nation. From a man of deceit and wrong, free me. For you, O God, my stronghold, why should you neglect me? Why should I go in gloom, pressed by the foe? Send forth your, send forth, send forth your light and your truth. It is they that will guide me. They will bring me to your holy mountain and to your dwelling place. And let me come to God's altar, to God my keenest joy. And let me acclaim you with the lyre, O God, my God. How bent my being, how you moan for me. Hope in God, for yet will I acclaim him, his rescuing presence, and my God. Glory to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, we don't do, have to comment on every translation choice, although he doesn't try to avoid soul as much as possible right. in, yeah. in his translation living. of the Psalms. He said whole being, I think. And then one that seems worth acknowledging, the, the, the standard way of going, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? He went with, you know, my being is bent, which I think is, I mean, it's, it's the same image, but cast down or has become almost a, abstract religious mm. word for us, you know, like, right. oh, he's downcast, you know, and I don't even know what that, it's not even a word that I use in, I mean, overcast, I guess I would use in English, like for, for the weather, for the weather, right? which I guess that sort of helps, but actually being bent That's over okay. is kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Does yeah, that it's, capture it well in your mind? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
anything to get me to notice the imagery. <laughs> yeah. It helps, honestly. Yeah. And we've been talking about water being the metaphor here, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's very interesting how like water, you know, is associated with life, right? And that's what's missing right now for mm. for the petitioner, right? That basically without God he's dead. So my soul uh, in verse two, right? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, right? So that's the water. But then my tears have been my food for day and night, right? Tears yeah. are also kind of watery, right? But it's soul that doesn't really nourish you, right? right? So it's actually depleting you. And, you know, with things I remember as I pour out my soul, right? Mm. So again, like giving water out, again, depleting yourself of water, right? So that's a very, I think it's a very interesting imagery that the psalmist is using. And then... I will remember you six, right? Mm-hmm. From uh, from the yeah, land of say, the Jordan. That's a right? river. That's a river. And then Herman's associated with the snow that melts, right? Right. right. And that's very just powerful, you know, me, yeah. going down. So yeah, so it's and it's we'll quite just interesting. we'll just assume there's some water on Mount Nizar. We don't sure, know. <laughs> yes. You know, deep calls to deep. Yeah. Right? Uh, row of your waterfalls, waves and breakers swept over me. Right. So that's a very powerful imagery again of water and it's you know deep calls to deep it's almost like alludes to creation right i was gonna ask that is such a cool phrase but i have no idea what it means like what does it mean deep calls unto deep i mean do you have a sense of i mean you were mentioning the creation the right the abyss that's there right so that you know separating right the the heavens and the water on earth right so both of those connected Calling, you know, God is in control. The waters above and the waters below. Right. Yeah. So ah. everything, everything is under God's control. He created it all. Remembering that in the ancient Near East, water is always association of chaos. Right. Right. So evil lives there. That's why, you know, the behemoths and the Leviathan live there. Mm-hmm. But as we in read Job, in, yeah. Right. In Job. You know, God created those. Right? They're just like so, a pet to him. Right. So yeah. it's all in control, right? He's always in control of all of that. So then the your channels or the your, what is NIV in verse seven? Waterfalls. Okay. But they're yours. They're, there's kind of this yeah, reference so you, to, right. is that meant to be a link to the previous of, I mean, again, I have no idea how Mitzar fits into it, but if yeah. it's from all the way from Hermon and the rain and the snow up there all the way down to right. the Jordan, or is, is it is it sort of shifting and talking about something else in verse 7? Do you have a sense of that? It's quite clear he's remembering particular places okay. that are familiar to him and most likely familiar to those who are reading this. Exactly how exactly. it fits in. right? Because it could it's, be a switch in verse 7 to some other... Uh, some other place. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, in Israel, water is very scarce, you know, yeah. scarce, right? But even a small river, right, that maybe ends up to be like a tiny brook, whatever, when you get to, you know, to the beginning of it, right, the waterfalls, they, they gave, it's a small waterfall, but because of the surrounding, it makes so much noise, it feels like it's huge, oh. like Niagara, right, falls, and then you come close, it's very small, but because of the surrounding area and how it's just the landscape, it's just Rocky, creates, arid, yeah, creates that uh, very powerful noise, like it's a huge waterfall. 
So seven doesn't even have to be, you know, a big, right. it can be a pretty tiny one, which I, right. Yeah. Let's, let's put a pin in that and come back to that. That's going to be relevant. That'll right. preach. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. So, Interesting. Now breakers and waves surging over me or gone over me in the second half of seven right. there. Mm-hmm. Of course that again, because Again, I'm a sort of modern person who would go to the ocean for vacation. That's what I see there. Right. But I'm pretty sure Israelites didn't like swim as a pastime. So I wonder what the image there is. Is it, is it you're on a walk? You're you're really you're taking a bath. What what is it? What is the? Is it just the splash of the waterfall? It's a, it's a, it's a difficult image for me to get my head around. Right. So I wonder if the image, because it's still the northern part, right, of Israel uh, that he's talking about. So I wonder if it's the Sea of Galilee. Oh, like okay. For us, it's a small lake, right, as we think about it. Yeah, right now. even Luke changes it to lake. Right. I always love pointing that out, that Luke's like, oh, come on, Mark. It's not a sea. It's right. a lake. It's, it's not a big lake, <laughs> right? But, Revealing um, that he's not a Galilean or <laughs> probably not a Palestinian Jew right. of any kind, but has seen like real seas. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it it but is known. But in a known. dry place, it's a big deal. Right, and, and big, it's known for its tumultuous weather. Yeah, patterns. it can have intense right, storms. So, yeah, intense waves. Okay, because really, there is. I mean, the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea, right? There is nothing there. Yeah. So that's definitely not the southern part of the Palestine that so he's all thinking your breakers about. And waves of surge over me. So that's not, that's the, the context might be being on a boat would be in terms of the imagery. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Would, breakers and waves surging over you is probably on a boat in that time. Right. Cause right. they don't swim. Like that's not a thing that they did. Right. To my right. knowledge. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. From what I understand, uh, swimming as a pastime is a pretty recent invention. Like, <laughs> like, oh. like it's not very, common that people like you know swim for fun like because you know for most right. ancient societies water was pretty scary <laughs> right. yes so, yes yeah and right. i i must admit even at my age i'm still a little scared when i swim because <laughs> i saw jaws way too young and so i'm just like i'm still that's why i don't watch movies like that yeah so that I, can't well, swim, right? I shouldn't <laughs> yeah wow funny. the the water imagery is really strong now and this is probably a stretch, but I'll still ask it. Verse nine, this reference to God as rock, my mind immediately thinks of the rock in the desert that right. poured forth water, just because the imagery has been so yeah. water heavy. Again, that may not be in the mind of the the psalmist there, but the hope, you know, like if God is the rock, but the hope that right. that, that water yeah. might come forth, it seems at least oh, yes, a possible resonance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. I would think so. Right. Oh, so that wasn't as big of a stretch as I thought it was. <laughs> I'm well, used, all of this I'm is to you good scholars, you know, telling me that I'm overdoing it. You're like, come on, I'll, John, that's not I'll, fair. I'll tell you. <laughs> I know um, you will. <laughs> well, all of, like the, the Psalms are based on the Torah, right? On yeah. The, um, whatever is written in the first five books, right? That's where they're. Yeah. So all these illusions, they are very powerful. They know what they're doing, right? They're always drawing on something that they've experienced, like people of Israel experienced, right? Yeah. So they can connect that. Yeah. Oh, yeah so that yeah, rock, yeah. that's the ro- that's the first rock I think of when right. I think of what's the what's the most important rock in the Torah. It's that, right? right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
and it's a rock out of which water bursts forth. And that's such an important event and referenced in the Psalms quite often, you know, 95 and 104, 5, 6, one of those also makes reference to it. And Well, is there anything from 43, which is kind of the third stanza, if this Psalm started out as one, that you want to highlight before we take a break and explore some sermon starters? Anything in in 43 that, that needs to be highlighted or anything else in your notes for that matter. Right. Well, I think uh, that starts in 42 and then it's seen clearly in 43 that the anguish comes from the people taunting ah. the, the person about the presence of God, right? Yeah. So Another clue of possible exile. Yeah. Whatever the setting may be, but where there are others, right? And the God of Israel is not doesn't seem to be at work. Yeah, where is your right? God, verse 10? So that, is that the first one? It's like a question from the outside pressing in. Oh, no, back, way back in three, right? right? They said to me all day long, where, where is, is your, your God? God? Right. So I think it's not, it's not that the psalmist himself is separated from God, right? Which causes already enough English. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that others are taunting, and not just the uh, psalmist, Right, they're taunting God. Right, He's God. So, and that's why it is so so difficult. So, come do something, not so much just for me, but so that the others will see your power. And in eight, forty-two eight, right in NIV, it says, "By the day the Lord directs His love." Right, yeah. But that's the word Hesed. Yeah. So it's more than just love, right? It's his loving uh, kindness and faithfulness. And it's, that word immediately draws us back to all those times in the Old Testament where it says, you know, God is slow to anger, abounding yes. in love. Like all of that, that's what Hesed is. Yeah, so, by day the Lord yes, <clears throat> he uses the word command for the verb there. Oh. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. I found that very interesting. What what is the word? Let's take yeah, a look. That's worth it's, looking. Um, it's verse from, eight in Hebrew. Yeah. So it's Yetzah, yeah, that's command. Yeah. This is where it meets what comes from, right? Commandment. Right. It's very Yeah. It's very strong right. language. Right. Right? The <clears throat> Lord commands his steadfast love. Yeah. Ordains is what Alter uses, which yep. is a little stronger than because directs was NIV. That kind of softens it a little bit. Right. And love too. Love's a little love. sappy too, right? right. Well, so I, I, what would be your if we were to do a little translation workshop right now? How would you do that line, the opening line of verse eight? I think it's an RSV that says steadfast. Yeah, steadfast love, love or faithfulness. It's important, I think, because. The whole thing is uh, with the refrain in 5 and then 11 and then 5 and 43, right? Mm-hmm. Is that put your hope in God or wait on the Lord. For I will yet praise him for my Savior and my God. But in, in Hebrew, it's I will praise him for his salvation and before his face, right? So I think these are all interpretations that already say something, right? Yes, yes. So, but... What he's saying, it's like the steadfast love is all about saving people, saving them out of Egypt, saving them. So bringing them to a better place, right? So that's always that move. Rescue, deliver. So that's what he is 
hoping for, right? That's what he's waiting on, on that moment when God comes and brings his salvation and brings his people before his face, right? That's the literal before him, the phrase that's always used, you know, before him, before his face, before right? Before his face, which also would have temple associations, right? Right, Because yes. that's really where you, on behalf of the people, the the priest comes face to face with God once a year, right. you know, in the in the Holy of Holies, as it were, which has its roots in the tent of meeting where Moses would go face to face, right? Right. And talk with God as one talks yep. to a friend, right? Isn't right. that? Yeah. So then that this is why the taunting is so difficult, right? For the yes. person. Because okay. like, yes, we know we're not there, right? Yes, I know I cannot do it, but now I'm, I'm being taunted, not just because of that, but because that means your God is not powerful. Right, that's my God is more powerful than yours because I won. Yeah, and you lost. He defeated you. <laughs> right, so obviously, and then the psalmist, of course, knows that that's not true. But it feels but, true. <laughs> right, but he can't do anything about it. Right, only God can do something. Right, about it. and it's yeah, it's not just fixed by a quick appeal to divine right. omnipresence or something like right. that. So it, because God has promised His presence to take a particular concrete form in right. the community in the temple worship, and not simply like. Oh yeah, you're in exile, but who cares? Because God's everywhere. Like right. that's just not yes. even a New Testament solution for that matter. Right. But certainly right. not an Old Testament one. Yeah. So like I know my God is powerful, but I can't really prove it to others. Right? Only God can do it. So come on, God, right? I'm waiting on you to do something. Something to, concrete um, to, and visible. Right. So that communal, those people will see it. And they'll be proved wrong. Right. Yeah. So that's the whole thing about vindication, right? Like right, right, God right, right. will vindicate. Like I'm in this, I'm being taunted. You know, that's why it's like vindicate me, oh God. I cannot do it on my own. Like, yeah, it's vindicate me, take up my case. But ironically, it's also implying to God, right? This is your, your case. case. Right. <laughs> vindicate yeah. your name, right? Right. Yes. It's yeah. a appeal to the divine election of the people. Means that my case is your case. When I'm defeated, that means you look yeah. defeated. No, that's really, really good. That's really good. Well, I know there's, I'm sure there's a thousand other things, but let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Larissa Levicheva, and we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43. What advice, what suggestions might you have to someone who might be teaching or preaching on this text to others? Obviously, they can draw on everything you've been sharing, but is there anything particular that you would suggest as a, as a focus or any pitfalls to avoid? <laughs> I think this psalm shows that a Christian's life has both suffering and joy. Yeah. Right? So both both are real. Because quite often we say that, you know, when you if you become a Christian, everything will be good. Yeah. Great and great. Which is never true. Yeah. But the point is it's both are there, right? Both suffering and joy are part of our life. And in the time of suffering, you remember the joy. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what carries you, right? Remembering the experiences, you may not feel it right now, right? But that doesn't nullify the experience, right? It actually makes it more powerful 
and more tangible. There is something that you can grasp yeah. on. And that's what carries you along until that day when you experience that joy again. So, and then situations change all the time, but God is the constant throughout, right? That's just like the, the metaphor of water. It, it's always the same. It always means the same hmm. to everyone. So it's, you know, it's sometimes it's maybe as powerful as the waterfall of the sound of the waterfall and the waves that crash over you. And it may be both good or bad, right? Sometimes the events in life, the experiences are so overwhelming, you don't know what it is. It's like the wave crashing over you. And sometimes it's the wave that's good, right? The joys that coming, right? So you can look at those uh. metaphors either way, but it's, it's, you know, God is the constant throughout. He is there. You know, deep comes to deep, right? It doesn't matter what kind of wave it is, but God is with it. He's has all in control, right? He's walking with you. So I think it's that that should that's what should anchor you, right? Yeah. Going with the water metaphor. Oh, the <laughs> anchor is God, regardless of what's going on around. That's what you're coming to. And also it's also the uh, what should help in the time of suffering is turning towards the community yeah. of believers, right? You don't go through it alone. Just like in joy, you share, right? right? And you want to invite others into your joy. So in the time of struggle and suffering, you want to turn to the community because the community can also carry you through that. So I think it's very powerful, especially in our time right now, right? You really don't know what the next day will bring. Yeah. So it, there's so much... I think anxiety and fear because you don't know what's happening. But it's that steadfast presence, mercy, and love of God should hold you. Mm -hmm. You still don't know what tomorrow will be, but you know that God will not change. And one day it will change. You just, you know. But in the meantime, you keep doing what you know is the right thing to do, what God called you to do. Yeah. Right. So letting God vindicate you. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things came to mind as you were sharing that. The first is the importance of place, even if a modern Christian may not have the same attachment to Jerusalem and the temple. Nevertheless, it's a myth to imagine that humans can relate to God in a placeless way. Right. You know, so... God's presence and availability in all places is just a generic metaphysical fact. It's not actually a spiritually terribly helpful thought. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It can be yes. true without it being having power for us, you know? And I, I'm, I'm picturing, I, I could imagine even a sermon that would invite to say, you know, where are those places? Like, I mean, here's a line that came to mind thinking of in chapter 43, three and four, um, where it says, you know, I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I had this thought and tell me what you think of this, but like to expect to have joy without an altar is a recipe for disaster, something like that. You know, like, like right. you need places, a holy hill, a dwelling. Where are those places where you've encountered God before? Can I promise you that if you go to that place, you'll automatically experience what you experienced before? No, but to neglect those places 
right? To neglect the communities that gather in those places. And the water metaphor actually can be relevant here too. You know, sometimes the, uh, the well is dry. Sometimes the mountains aren't, the waterfalls come and go seasonally, but to just go out in the desert and expect water is, 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 uh, no, you go back to those. I, I'm, I'm almost feeling like there's a, a little bit of a means of grace sermon here. You know right. what I mean? Yes, like, yes. It's not Absolutely. that. It's not that the means of grace are some sort of like these automatic like channels where the gracious presence of God is guaranteed to occur. Of course not. We can't be presumptuous about how and when God yes. meets us with joy. Right. But we're faithful in these practices. Because that's where God has promised to show up when he chooses to show up. These are the places where water is going to pour out. Yes. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's dry. But, you go, you, you're, but you're faithful anyway. I feel like there might be something worth exploring there. Yes. That would be relevant to all kinds of settings and circumstances. You know, Ironically, I need the means of grace less when I'm feeling that spiritual joy. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, and that's what happens is then we take them for granted and we neglect and then you know, right. we experience desolation and we wonder why, you know, when we're right. feeling desolate, we often isolate ourselves right. more and more when that's exactly the motion that we need to resist. Yeah. That was just some thoughts for what it's worth, yep. but. No, I think that's, that's exactly what, what it's about. That's true to the spirit of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's great. I feel like, I feel like we've said enough. You got any yeah. more things you want to say? Sorry, that's kind of no. a blunt way of putting it. <laughs> you can tell it's summer. Let's just get this over with. No, that's. <laughs> I think that's good. The air conditioning is also broken in this, and we we've been we've been feeling the opening line here. You right. know, as the deer long, we've been like we. I think we've refilled our water like four times. <laughs> so it's very it's very right. it's very yes. real today. Right today, it's especially real. Yes. Well, thanks so much, uh, Laura. I appreciate um, your contributions to our listeners and your regularness here. It's so great. So thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. Thanks to all our listeners, but especially our supporters. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways that you can become a patron saint of the show. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.